Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Couch, where we sit back and talk about video games, board games, card games, and the like. So pull up a chair, put your feet up, let's have a good time. Hi, everyone. So, in case you were wondering, the, uh, the status of my disappearance last week. Just to like put it bluntly, it was very rough these past two weeks. I'm not saying, like, trauma or anything like that, just... A lot of a lot of just having to do things, both with like work and other stuff, like hanging out with friends and commuting and stuff like that. It just was so busy, and I had very little me time until like just the other day, because I was either at work or I was at home doing with work bullshit and testing me out. And then the past weekend, I went upstate for a friend's party, and then there was that whole commute. It was very crazy. I just kind of I had a moment where I'm like, I just want to do things that need to get done. And that's that. And not to say that these episodes that I record are not needed to be done, because I enjoy them, hence why I'm still doing it. It's like a hierarchy kind of thing. Like, yes, these need to get done. I do want to get these done. In terms of, like, my career, I need to handle this career stuff first. My friends hanging out with them that I haven't seen in years come first. It was just, like, that priority list that when I stumbled home at, like, you know, 8 p.m. at night, constantly every day, I'm just like, I, I just, I can't right now. I, I can't, like, do suitable content that I feel will be appropriate to post. So, last week I just kind of, like, disappeared. I know I didn't post anything or anything like that. Yeah, I just, I needed, that, like, that away time. Like, I had so much going on. Like, I'm just going to take a step back. Recoup. Restart. Just, like, fresh. And then jump back in. I know, like, I did the whole thing over the summer. But I was still trying to be active with the episodes over the summer. This was like a full just restart. Like, I'm not even going to post about it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to full restart. And now I got the full restart done, I'm ready. All right, we're going to do another episode. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be great. And I'm still stuck with that that schedule I wanted to make where it is the last Sunday of the month. So it is going to be some sort of list or tier or whatever you want to call it. And for this one, I actually decided to get a little creative. All right? Not talk about, like the best games for this, or the most enjoyable times for that. Instead, I want to talk about DMing, running an RPG game. And here's why. Recently, I joined the All Things D&D Facebook group. And it's a good bunch of people. There's a lot of posts that come up, both like people asking for advice with like, hey, I got this character idea, what do you think? Or just people wanting to like share their ideas or share some funny memes or posts that they found. Just, just an all-in-all good time. And again, for the most part, people are good. There's a couple of rough around the edges people, but hey, when you have a community this big with a game this popular, you're not going to agree with everybody, which is fine. But I got thinking one day, because at one point I saw a post with a guy saying, hey, brand new to DMing, like kind of new to the game, a new party, and me being the GM, I've never done this before. What's some advice? And that kind of got me thinking. I didn't post on it because I already had like 100 plus comments. I'm like, I'm not going to throw my two cents in here because of all the comments, I'll instead, I want to take time today to talk about it. Because I feel the hardest thing about being a DM or GM, what do you want to call it, is knowing there's no right way to do it. Everyone who runs a game runs it differently. Every time you have a DM, even if it's like a module, like let's say it's a module that runs the same way every time you play it, the GM will be different, and things will happen a little bit differently because of the GM. And I'm not talking about the dice, just how they carry the game will be slightly different. You just, because you got to do it. You know, you have to just do 
the thing. And I've played games with both veteran DMs and new DMs, and honestly, there's no like indication it'll be good or bad. Like I've played games run by vets and new players that I really enjoyed, and I'm in games right now with both vets and new DMs that I'm not enjoying as much for various reasons. That's the thing. It's just having that experience helps you plan better. Yes. If you DM before, you have an idea of how to plan. You have an idea of how the rules work. You have an idea of like structuring a bigger campaign and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't mean you run better games automatically. Just because you have that experience doesn't mean I'm just better at running games. It's just a skill and experience that over time just develops. And sometimes you have an idea and it's, it's a trash game. It happens. It happens to the best of us. So I came up with some tips. I got seven of them. Seven little tips for either people who have been GMing for a long time, people who are looking to get into GMing for a game. I'm not even like just D&D. Like some of these tips, mostly these tips can apply to other RPGs as well. Lancer, Call of Cthulhu, Pathfinder, obviously, Cyberpunk even, like anything. It's other RPGs you could use these tips for. And of course, since DMing a game is so vastly different from player to player. My tips obviously may be different than others, and you might not agree with some of them, and that's okay. I'm looking from my viewpoint, you know, games that I would enjoy playing, how I see a good way to run the game. That's where my advice is coming from. So I'm going to try and stay neutral in some way, you know, understand that not every single tip I have is for me personally, that there are things that just should be a thing being done at all times, you know? And also, disclaimer, I never played Adventures League or any sort of module, any sort of, like, structured campaign or anything like that. I've actually never done anything like that. I am a home brewer with my friends to the core. Every game I run is with friends that I've met online, I've known for a while, and we homebrew the shit out of everything. Every campaign world we're in is homebrewed. Like, obviously, we use the monsters in the monster manual, but even tweak them. So everything I do is homebrew, so this is coming from a homebrewer's mindset, where the rules are just purely guidelines, and the numbers really don't matter. That's, like, my first tip, honestly. The numbers don't matter. You know, if a dire roll would kill a character right away, maybe just fudge it. Don't tell them. I'm going to add that. Eight tips. All right, tip number one, screw the numbers. If you roll some dice and it'll turn out that it'll TPK your party, especially if they're low level or new players, maybe magically, you know, just fudge the die and that creature actually misses instead of getting a crit. Obviously, don't tell the players. Never tell people if you fudge the dice or if you fudge the stats mid-combat. But yeah, have a like a little bit of fun with it, and it helps a lot with new players. The kids that I've DM'd for before, I've done that plenty of times where suddenly, hey, the monster's armor class was just lowered because, oh, the he was got winded. Like over time, this long combat, he was getting tired, so you got a lucky hit, or oh, he just suddenly missed, even though he really hit, but it would have killed the the warlock kind of thing. Do that every now and then, and like add some flavor to it. Like I said, maybe the guy, maybe the person hit when they miss every other time because the opponent's just been getting winded after all this combat. So they got a lucky shot in. You know, make them feel like things are happening and don't just leave it up to the numbers purely. Have some fun with it. That even goes to challenge rating, but I'll get to that later with a different tip. So tip number one, fudge the numbers. They, they don't really matter in the end. So now tip number two. I got to remember to change each of these and increase the number by one because I just added that tip in. So tip number two you got to find a setting that works for you and the players, all right? If you're like me and you want to homebrew a campaign, or even if you're using, like, some sort of pre-made module, you just need a world that works. 
And with that, that's both for you and the player. So for you, obviously, you want to run a world that you're interested in, that you have some enjoyment out of it, you have strong opinions about, or it's just something that you can see yourself getting creative with. It doesn't be like fully enjoyable, but maybe there's some creative spark that it gives you, and you'll tweak it for yourself to improve it in your own eyes. And then also, make it so that the players enjoy it too. You know, the players need a world that they're going to find engaging and captivating so that they will continue to engage and play it. Because the players don't want to be engaged, then not much is going to happen because this is a game. Like, they need to move the story forward. But you as a GM, if you aren't enjoying it, if it's not a world you're going to enjoy, you're going to dread each session. And that's just not right. Both for you and the players. So make sure it's something that you're going to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with, like, a sword and sorcery dungeon dive where you just want to kill a bunch of things. And there's nothing wrong with a political scandal kind of campaign where it's a lot of role-playing and a lot of combat. It, it doesn't matter the campaign. What matters is does everyone say, yeah, this is going to be pretty cool to play, or yeah, I'm interested in trying that out and see where it leads. As long as you have that interest, people will be willing to interact, and you can keep the game going forward. So think about that every now and then. With that, tip number three is hold a session just to make the characters. Think of this like a session zero, before the game has even started. Everyone gets together and they make characters together. And I think this is very, very important. I know sometimes DMs have it where, hey, make your character sheet on your own time and then send it over to me. That's fine. Like If, if you want to run that, that's fine. However, I think it's important that you make them together simply because you can get a lot done and a, everything like clear expectations done at the same time with everyone. Like if you type up a document and send it to someone saying, Hey, this is how you roll up your character. And you just leave it at that. And you don't like talk to them. They might make a mistake. You know, they might misread something or something like that, you know? So when you meet together, not only do you prevent that misunderstanding from happening, but it also gives you the time to pitch that world, world idea you have, you know, tip number one, tip number two, actually, finding that setting that works, you get a chance to tell people about the world they're going to be in. Who's important? What's the world about? What are the rules? Like, is it heavy magic? Is there not a lot of magic? Is there portals everywhere? Are there demons? Is there a race that doesn't exist? Like, you can kind of set all those guidelines and boundaries. And then the players also get a chance to ask you about the world. Hey, I know you mentioned about the capital city. What's it like there? You know, that's somewhere where I could have grown up. You know, they start to ask these questions, and then their characters start to get built around that. Because now they understand what the world's about, and they had a chance to ask questions about the world to understand it better. They can then build a character that's built for that world. They're like, hey, now that I know the capital city is actually a t like, it's a glamorous spot if you're like the top 5%, but then the other 95% get shat on in shanty towns. I want to build an edgy rogue character. I know very cliche, but I'm going to build an edgy rogue character that grew up in the shanty towns. But the reason why I started adventuring is so I can gather experience and money and treasure to then overthrow the government. Out of nowhere, this player is now building their character into the world. Not just a character that appears in the world, but someone who was naturally created for it. And I think then that provides a hell of a lot more interaction for them and for you too. Because you're like, okay, now I have this very driven character that is naturally motivated in the world provided. And then not only that, it prevents someone who wouldn't have a good time. Like, let's say someone wants to make a great holy paladin, you know, all about good and justice kind of thing. 
but they get dropped into that world I just mentioned, where they get dropped into the 95% shantytown, and it's all villainy, and there's murder and theft, and the rogues guilds running rampant and everything like that, and it's all crime. Obviously, the paladin's not going to have a good time playing there, because the party's starting in, you know, the low life, and it's all, you have to be a criminal to survive, of course the paladin will want to do that. And then, okay, well, they'll start somewhere else. Well, then how do they logically become partied up with these other people? Like, it kind of throws a wrench in the plan, and it can be difficult then to fully enjoy your character and fully enjoy the world if you're not able to build the character with the DM there, with that world knowledge there. And it also provides, like, out-of-game role-playing. All right, this, and this is, like, a, an example I want to give you guys. So at one point, I was in a party. We were starting up, and there was a couple new players. Well... New to 5th edition. They played AD&D way back when, but now they want to get back into it, so they want to try 5th edition. And it's like, okay, cool, let's try it out. So two of the people there, all right, this one woman was very excited, and she's like, I want to be a dwarf cleric. Like, I enjoy being dwarf clerics. So she states that right away. Before we even get to, like, rolling the characters, she's like, I want to be a dwarf cleric. Cool, let's start working on that. And again, before you got to the rolling, after she mentioned you want to be a dwarf cleric, the guy next to her is all of a sudden like, wait, you're going to want to play a dwarf? I was already thinking about being a dwarf. How about we just be siblings? And then that was it. Like, they knew what they wanted to do with their characters. Before the game even started, the players were interacting with one another and developing their characters for one another to have a relationship, to have a bond. So when the game started, they'll be, like, naturally role-playing. Like, they'll, they don't have to worry about that awkward moment where it's like, okay, let's try and find out who's who. And, like, I know the whole, like, one truth, one lie, and one rumor kind of, like, thing that people like to do. It's a cool concept. I think it's a really cool concept. I would like to add that in on top of the Session Zero thing. Like, okay, the characters know each other a little bit, and then over time, they learn more about each other from rumors. Like, you know, when you meet... It's kind of like high school. Think of it like high school. You meet someone new in high school, and you become good friends. But then when someone's like, oh, you hang out with that person? Well, did you know they did this in middle school? You know, you can add in that whole one truth, one lie, one rumor on top of a Session Zero where players already interact. Because still, unless the characters grew up together and spent their whole lives together, there'll be things they don't know about each other, even if they've known each other in-game for years. That's just how the adventuring party goes. So with that, you're giving a chance for this role-playing that lets characters develop themselves stronger for each other and for that world. So you could simply explain the setting of the game and ask the players again to tell each other how they ended up there. So instead of just letting that be session one, the first time you play as the character's role-playing it you just do it out of game be like okay how'd you end up in this city i was born here and i was you know i was raised here in the shantytown i was a cleric a traveling priest that came from a nearby village that wants to help the weak and poor you know people start to think of ideas and then you have that established moment where the players are like okay yeah i could you know i would see myself running into you because I want to help you do this, or I think you're trying to take over my territory, so I'm going to do something about it. The players start to think of a way to interact with one another, and then you also have something to go with for session one, like that you are in game. Like, it's, it's not role-playing. Just explain to me what's on that sheet, and they start to describe it a little bit, and then in time, that just will naturally turn into role-playing over time. So it gets everyone comfortable with each other before you even have to play. Tip number four, no when to let go of control. All right, let's face it. You're the DM. 
You're to help guide the story, but not be the driving force behind it, not be the sole reason why the game's moving forward. Ultimately, whether we like it or not, the players decide what happens. That can be very good, but it can also be very bad. There's plenty of stories, I'm sure we've all been there if we DM plenty of games, where something derailed horribly because the players did something stupid. Or just something you didn't even expect. Not even stupid, it's just like, I did not think you were going to be that witty and try that and pull that off. That was, holy shit, okay, now time to change things. I mean, think about it. The players could decide to go to just a small fishing village along the coast instead of the capital city where you have the next story hook ready. Or they might take a shot at a noble. You know, the rogue, for whatever reason, dislikes this noble, so he wants to take him out and takes a shot during the parade and ends up killing the noble and gets away without being found. Turns out that noble was the big bad evil guy for the campaign, and now he's dead, and it's like session three, the level two. What am I going to do? <laughs> That's fine. Like, it's it's fine to let that stuff happen and let control leave from you to the players. You know, you could magically wave your hand and say, nope, you missed, you didn't kill the noble, or no, that you would have never gotten the shot off. Like, you could say that and keep the story going the way you want it to, but honestly, what does that tell the players? Like, what what are they going to get out of this now? Are they going to feel like, their plans and their actions in the end don't matter because in the end the DM's going to decide what happens ultimately for me they're going to be less willing to try things you know if you can just magically say no it doesn't work they're not going to want to experiment they're not going to try and think of like hey could I try this hey could I do this like I love a game where the players start to ask questions about can I do this and I'm like let's see what happens I'm totally willing to let you control the flow of this because you want to do this now, of course, you know, let's say you you tell them, go ahead and let that happen, and the dice will just turn up shit. Okay, the dice will turn up shit, you tried. That showed that just, this could be pulled off under different circumstances. Maybe we try again later, or try a different circumstance, or try and get the dice roll in our favor. That kind of stuff. It reinforces the fact that, yeah, I might have failed, but still, there's a chance that it could work. If we redouble our efforts, we could pull this off. If the GM just says, no, it doesn't happen, without the dice even being rolled or even having a chance to let it happen, you just, you're taking control from the players back to you, and you're just saying, there is no chance. There is no point in trying. And it hurts. Like, it kind of hurts. And with this tip, I have like a small pet peeve of mine. This is a personal thing of mine. When a DM just won't let metagame happening, period. I understand you don't want metagame to run the entire game. Okay, certain things are kept hidden for certain reasons. However, a little bit doesn't hurt. This especially goes to a big decision, whether it's like what I'm going to do in combat or this conversation I'm having with someone right now. If, for example, let's say there's a barbarian making a deal with a demon, and that deal will obviously have a major impact on both the barbarian and his party because they're with him, but the party's not there. I know there are some DMs that say, no, you can't metagame. The Barbarian has to make a decision on his own. Go. I don't like that because that, again, that makes the other players, they, they don't feel like it matters for them. Like, the Barbarian's allowed to decide whatever happens to the rest of us. Because, again, if you make a deal with a demon or a devil, that's very impactful. I'd say, yeah, I don't care. If the players aren't there, whether it's, like, in combat or this kind of role-playing thing, I would let the other players weigh in. And not even from, like, their character's viewpoint, but, like, way on the street, like, hey, is this a good idea? It, it could do this to us. This could happen. 
to make sure that the character is at least considering different possibilities and different outcomes. I mean, ultimately, the barbarian making the deal, it's up to him to decide what happens. But since it affects more than one person, let those other people just weigh in because it's a game. At the end of the day, it's a game. And if you say, no, you're not allowed to make have any impact on the decision that's about to be made because you're not there, well, what if the decision ends up being bad and I just don't want to be a part of this anymore? I don't want to play the game anymore because it just it screwed me, you know? And now I can't really recover from it. If at least there's some dialogue, then if the decision is still made and the players are unhappy about it, at least they had a chance to say it. And then they'd be like, see, I, like, look, man, I told you that could have happened. How are we going to fix it now? Like, the players are more willing to have a dialogue when something goes wrong if they're allowed to say something about it in the first place. If their voice is allowed to be heard and things still end up bad, it's like, okay, we had a chance to talk about this before and look what happened. Because now they think their opinion matters, at least to the GM. Like, the other player might not care for their opinion, but at least the GM is willing to let everyone weigh in and the GM can push that. Like, hey, talk about it. Figure it out. And you know what? If this causes a player to become pissed off and storm off, you know, let them. The game's better without them. I feel if a player is willing to storm off because they're pissed off, just go. Like, it, it'll be better without you than if you're going to be this way about the game. Let it happen. And then that's, honestly, that's tip five. Just don't give the players complete control. You know, you might have run into this at some point where there's a player that absolutely demands that they need to have a thing or do the stuff that they want to do. Otherwise, they won't play. There's a story I read about on the D&D Facebook group, all things D&D Facebook group, where a guy's like, hey, I got this I got this player who has a level four Aerocroc monk, like the bird person, a level four monk. And we just started up a new campaign with a couple level ones, but he's insistent on playing his level four monk. What do I do? Well, you know what? You got to find a way to meet in the middle. You know, talk to him outside the game. You know, not during game, but outside the game. Reach an agreement with the player. Find something that works for both you as a GM and the player so it doesn't, like, break the entire game. So you do this outside the game, have it settled before the next session, so you just move forward. And again, if the guy refuses to budge, if the girl refuses to let it happen, let him storm off. Let him go. Be like, hey, it, like, just, it can't happen. And if you want to leave because I'm, I'm not letting you do it, then that's that. You know, what if it's a good friend of mine? If they're a good friend of yours then one of two things should happen. If they're a good friend of yours, either they will say, yes, I understand, and they'll make the change anyway. Even if they don't like it, they'll at least go along with the change because they're a good friend of yours, and they want to play with you, and they trust you. Or if they still insist on storming off, they'll be like, hey, you know what? Then I won't play this campaign. You know, next campaign, I want to try this. I want to be in the next campaign, and you'll still stay friends. If it ruins a friendship, then it wasn't a good friendship in the first place. I'm sorry. That's just the truth. You know, that's just how it is. Agree to disagree, honestly. So don't take control of the campaign, but don't let the players fully control it at the same time. Running a game of D&D requires cooperation between the players and the GM at all times. That's just how it is. Now, number six. We're going to shift gears a little bit on the tips for number six. Combat should matter. This is probably, out of all the tips, my most personal one. That, that comes from me personally, I feel, running a game. Because I've run a plenty of games. I've tried various types of combat. 
and I've played in plenty of other games that have different combats. Again, if you like dungeon crawling and slaying 100 goblins, you do you, fam. You go ahead. If that's what the party wants to do, that's what the party does. Cool. Me, though, I prefer less fights. And when I remember that, I prefer less fights that have a bigger impact. They're like larger combats, or they mean something in the context of the story, where it's not, we're just killing a bunch of goblins because they're there. It's, no, we need to kill these goblins because they took over this mine, and they're using it as a stronghold to attack the local, you know, villages. So we have to go in and do something about it, you know? And then from that, have the combat require some brain power beyond walk up and hit the enemy and move on. So let's say you have this goblin stronghold in a mine. You're going to clear it out to protect the villagers. Okay, story context, it makes sense. So when you go in, it shouldn't just be kill a goblin, move on to the next room, kill a goblin, move on to the next room. Yeah, you could have your fighter and barbarian charge into the fray and start murdering things. Like, that's what they're pretty good at. But what about everyone else? Like, the wizard, the paladin, the cleric. Is, are they doing the same thing? They're just throwing everything at the combat to see what happens? What about a tactical element? Add a little more depth to a simple encounter. You know, let's say you have a couple zombies in a crypt. All right, I've done this a couple times. I had one time where there was an underwater crypt that the players found. So they were along the lake. And they were camping out by the lake preparing for the next day and i was like all right let's just roll some perception someone got sorry someone got a pretty high perception i'm like okay you see something moving in the water I'm like what? what what do you mean something moving in the water because they were looking for this crypt and they thought it was by the lake so like hey there's something weird about the water like so they think they found it it's like well, what do you mean something moving in the water i'm like a couple of zombies pop out of the water what I'm like yep I'm like shit okay let's fight some zombies and as they're fighting the zombies more zombies are spawning more zombies are popping out of the water. They're like, okay, so first off, the crypt is definitely here. We know this now because zombies keep appearing. So I had like two waves of zombies pop up. So the players knew that, hey, there's a possibility that when we kill these zombies, more will appear. So they thought a little more tactically, like, hey, don't go too close to the water. Because another zombie pops up, he's going to be able to pull you underwater and drag you in without us being able to save you. So the party started to back up. Started to kite the zombies to the land. The range units started hitting with range. And when they got close enough, the fighter obviously took care of things if they got too close. The players are using a little more tactics than just smash and grab. And then from there, when the zombies stopped popping up from the lake, they're like, okay, so we know the crypt is here. However, it seems like there's a lot of zombies here. What if we try and find another entrance? Like, is there somewhere else, like maybe an old cave or stream or something that leads underneath us to get into like the crypt? Right there, that combat had a little more impact. And it's not even because it, the zombies dealt a lot of damage to them or anything like that. It just had an impact because now the players are thinking more about the story. Okay, if this is underwater and there are underwater zombies, we don't want to go anywhere near the water. Let's try and find a cave that's dry. Because this is going to matter going forward. I can't just smash and grab. Another example of that use those different roles like the wizard the fighter like try and find something that, that can fill their different roles i'm like one thing i just thought about you know i was writing this you know let's say you're like you're in a wizard tower you throw in an extra challenging encounter the wizard at the top of the tower is a bit more powerful than your players again the numbers don't matter do it but then let the players think of a creative way to best him where it's not just i am stronger than you like what's the environment 
Maybe there's some chandeliers on the ceiling. And this tower is in the mountain, so there's a raging blizzard going on outside during the fight in the tower. Okay, we engage the wizard. Wait, maybe there's a way we can pull the wizard down. Get him underneath the chandelier, and then the ranger shoots it down. The chandelier falls, doing a lot of damage to the wizard and trapping him, making it easier to deal with him. Maybe the barbarian runs over and smashes out the windows, and the blizzard comes you know, flying in. Yeah, it's going to get a bit chilly, but now the wizard's blinded by the blizzard, and he's also getting cold, and it's harder for him to speak, so he can't cast the spells as easily. And any fire damage he's going to do is now snuffed out in you know, 20 miles per hour wind that's at negative 10 degrees. All of a sudden, what would have been a very challenging encounter is now more of a puzzle. Okay, what's the best way to take this guy out to give us the best chance of survival? And you know what? Maybe smashing the window isn't the best idea because we're kind of low on health and we can't survive the cold wind. So don't do that. I mean, there's something else. Maybe like the chandeliers or something we can use to our advantage. Now it's being a puzzle. Every player has a role. They're a piece of the puzzle. And when all those pieces fit together nicely... Then everyone's like, this is, this is worth something. Every character should feel like they have a purpose. Not all the time. Obviously, there'll be times where the person who's not a big fan of role-playing, you'll have a narrative piece with a lot of role-playing, and they'll kind of be there, and they'll put their two cents in, but they're not big on it. But then come combat, they just go. Like, I got a buddy who's playing a fighter right now, and he's like that. The role-playing, he'll put his two cents in, but it's not his strong, so he's not like a big fan of it. But when combat starts, I know to throw a lot of things at him because I know he gets enjoyment out of trying to take out a bunch of enemies. So I'll be like, okay, here's all these enemies you have. There's two demons, the commander, four guys with halberds, and four crossbowmen up on the wall. And he's like, all right, how are we doing this? Like, he takes over. He starts saying, like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to take care of this? You know, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? Hey, you're the monk. Can you jump up there the road? Can you be stealthy? I'll pull him out and you go behind and shank him. Like, Suddenly he has a purpose, and then everyone's like, yes, I can do that. No, I can't do that. That's a little risky. Let me see. And then everyone's putting their efforts together, and suddenly this encounter is making people worthwhile. Like They're giving a purpose to the fight, and it pushes the story forward. Random encounters, I'm not a fan of, honestly, because a lot of times random encounters are exactly that, random. One time I was in a party, and as a random encounter, we came across an old wizard's tower. And I'm like, interesting. Okay. So we got, came across an old wizard's tower. And the GM's like, yeah, so y'all, you guys go inside now. Everyone uh, roll me roll me decks. I'm like, okay. So we all rolled decks, and I got the highest. He's like, so you got to the top of the tower first, and you found a magic plus one longsword. All right, moving on. I was like, okay, cool. I got a shiny sword. Doesn't really matter to any of us. Like, no one, want, no one wanted it. None of us needed it. We're all like, cool. Just, throw, just, you know, sell it later. What was the point? You know, my question is like, okay, how long has that tower been there? Who made it? What other things are in the tower? Are there like notes, research, or other things that we might be able to pursue? No, we just move forward. How about if we got jumped by orcs? Something get jumped by a bunch of orcs. You kill them and move on? Wait, maybe they're part of a war party nearby? Is this something we should deal with? You know, like, questions can, questions get raised all the time when something happens. Especially if it's random, like, wait, why'd that happen? But if it's just a random encounter, then you move on. What was the purpose? What was the impact it had besides just have some XP? Again, tip number one, the numbers don't matter. I Honestly, most of them, I do milestones for leveling up. I don't count XP. I just say, eh, it's been a bit. Here, have a level. You just went through a very harrowing experience? Have a level. You know, have a bonus feat or increase that stat. I just tell them, like, just do a thing. You, like, you've been through a lot. Just, here, 
go ahead, do the thing. Because I'd rather it, I'd rather them propel, I'd rather my players be engaged and intrigued by what's happening around them, both in combat and outside of combat, than just worry about the numbers. So with random encounters, if you really want to use them, I'd say put a story part behind them. Give them a feel that ties into the overall story. So let's say the party gets jumped by a bunch of militiamen instead of orcs. So a bunch of guys in armor and swords jump the party as they're traveling down the road to the next city. Of course, they take the militiamen out. They're okay. They're fine. They got a few wounds, but they're all right. But now the question is, why? Why did they jump us? Well, let's say this is a political campaign, like I mentioned before. And the, the players are supporting a certain noble in his bid to rule the kingdom or whatever. And the players search the militiamen and find out, you know, find insignias of an enemy house, a different noble. Oh, so these guys are working for the other noble. They, and they're trying to take us out. That way the guy we're supporting doesn't have all the power because we're obviously powerful allies. So they're trying to assassinate us. Okay, there's a reason behind the random encounter. And let's say the players want to investigate it further. Other questions can then pop up. Were these guys contracted? Like, were they hired to take us out? by the noble or someone else? Or were they just fanatics who jumped us because, you know, they're fanatics and they want to support the other guy? Though the other guy doesn't really support their actions. So then the political entry comes up like, hey, do you know people who are supporting you jumped us? You know, now you add in that political intrigue and you have a lot more role-playing going on where now people can use that to their advantage to try and win favors in this political scandal. The story just starts to write itself. And then from there, it's like, okay, we're dealing with this political scandal now. People who support you jumped us. What are you going to do about it? Did you hire them? Also, players have to ask, is it safe for us to travel? Like, are, are we going to be able to go from road to, like, city to city and be safe? The guy that we're supporting, should he be allowed to leave? Or is it too dangerous now on the roads for him? Since we just got jumped, what if they caught him outside? All of a sudden, now there's more and more things to think about and more and more things to worry about. All from just a random encounter... That was built for the story. So make it matter. Make that combat matter in some way. Even if you want to do like a dungeon. I like to find a way that in a dungeon may there only be two fights, but it's a big fight for a reason. And now number seven, again changing gears, back to role-playing. Know when to break the silence. When you're running a campaign, obviously role-playing is bound to happen. Even a combat-heavy game There'll be some role-playing. That's just how it is. It's a role-playing game. And now the balance you find between role-playing and combat is up to you and the party. If it's combat-heavy, it's role-play-heavy. If it's 50-50, you do, you do you. Again, whatever. The one thing I'd say, though, what's really important is that you know how to keep things going. Because when, when the role-playing begins, it's important to give enough information that the players can naturally carry a conversation themselves. There are questions they may ask, emotions that they'll be felt, even like opinions might start popping up. And the players have to like find a way to agree to disagree or come to a mutual understanding with each other because they all feel differently about it. Let that conversation go. It should be a time for the players to run the story, and the DM only chimes in for one or two things. Either the players ask a question of the GM specifically or an NPC, so the GM has to then fill in that role, obviously, or the GM has to break that awkward silence because the awkward silence kicks in. This awkward silence pops up when the players are given downtime to talk amongst themselves, but there's no driving force. Like, okay, you just arrived at the next city. You see what I'm saying? Those couple seconds, I was like, that. I, I didn't want to do that. I, I 
hated myself for that silence go because that'll happen. GM will be like, you made it to the next town. Now what? Now me as a player, I'm like, okay, well, who runs the, like, obviously I could ask questions about like who runs the town? What do I see? Like I can ask those questions obviously, but I feel like those are questions that should be answered without being asked. The GM will give enough saying, hey, this is what you see. This is what happens when you approach. You know this village is run by this guy or you know it's famous for this. Like, There's enough information given to the players to start that conversation. And if you let the silence kick in too often, everything could just be cut short and end up dead in the water. Like The story could just stop because the silence looms for too long. It happens too many times in a campaign. The players start to get less interested because there's. I know like every time that we're about to go somewhere, there's going to be that awkward silence because no one knows what to do or what to say because we're just kind of lost here. The players should run the story, yes, but the GM still is there to guide them because the GM has created this world for them or is the one in charge of it. So guide them enough to let them talk. If the players don't know what to do, what to say, or they're confused or whatever, give them something to work with. Maybe you tell them their, what their characters would have known at that moment, but it never got brought up. Like, hey, you would know that this town is famous for its gold mines. It just never came up in play. Like, while we were playing the game, it was never brought up in conversation. But you would know this. And the player's like, oh, it's famous for its, okay, it's famous for its gold mines. Is that why then it's being attacked? You know, like, then that kind of helps get this, the conversation going again. Maybe a nearby NPC overheard their conversation or recognizes the players and suddenly has something really important to tell them. There's your next story hook or just a way to get the conversation going again. Or just throw them a question. You know, if that silence starts to come up, you know, maybe it's the end of combat. Combat just finished. Why would they do it? Could it have been her? Was she the one in charge of this attack? You just ask these questions that the players would naturally have on their minds as human beings involved in this conflict that would be a question that would naturally pop in their head so you just kind of get them give them that let the conversation pick up from there and then continue to go with that improv's a big thing you know none of these tips up until now and even the next tip has nothing to do with planning i have no tips for planning because i don't plan very much i let the improv go like these things i let it come down to improv i'll have an idea of what's about to happen but I'm not going to be the one to say yes or no or to have everything ready. I had a cyberpunk game I was running the other day, and the players got out of jail. And I was like, yeah, so this is the situation. And I told them what was happening. She was very upset. She's like, I want to go to a party. I'm like, what? She's like, I want to go to a party. I'm like, okay, what kind of party do you want to go to? She explained to me the kind of party she wanted to go to. At that moment, I'm like, all right, we're going to a party. And I made up the entire party that they went to. This entire event that they had at some rich dude's house that they got invited to. And then the stuff I wanted to have happen, like the important NPC I wanted her to meet, just happened to be at the party. Like, I, that was in my notes. I wanted her to meet this guy. But how it happened, I let her decide. And instead of letting it be this weird silence of, you just got out of prison, now you're home, what now? And her just sitting there, she wanted to do something. And I'm like, screw it, let's go with it. And I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to tell you what the party's about and let you decide what you do at the party. It was tough. At times, trying to improv that much, don't get me wrong, but it's definitely worth it. Because then again, the players want to keep the conversation going, and you don't have to worry about awkward silence coming in and just letting the game die right there during the session. And of course, it's a balance that is hard to find. I've mentioned it plenty of times. The DM 
shouldn't have complete control of the story. They shouldn't railroad every single conversation to go a specific way. The players shouldn't have full control over everything that happens. And also, especially the DM, you shouldn't be ready to say something the moment silence falls upon the, the group. Silence can be a time for players to think and reflect after a long combat or a horrible twist has been revealed. It's okay to let that silence happen. When people are grieving, they do that. They're, they just want to have a moment to be alone with their thoughts. When a character goes through something harrowing, they want a moment to be alone with their thoughts. If you want to have a more stressful and high-strung campaign, you don't give them much downtime to think about it. You know, maybe later they'll have a chance for, like, the town just got attacked. And suddenly this next thing happens. Go! And everyone's like, Ugh. you know, it adds to the stress of playing the game, yes, but it's, I think it's good. Because then the player's like, okay, we got to deal with this later. They're going to move forward. And, you know, they start to try and go through that process normally. But if you don't let that happen and you just give them that chance to think, yeah, let the silence be there for a moment. Because the players are thinking. You need to know the difference between silent because we don't know and silent because we're thinking and trying to figure it out. If you can find a way to identify that, you, you will know when to chime in and when to just let your players do their thing. It's tough. Don't get me wrong. But goddamn, is it important. Because you want it to be natural. It's a game, but it's a game about being somebody else. And to, it has to be as natural as possible. So my last tip, my last and final tip, number eight. Because it was number seven, but we changed it. Having fun. Straight up. Have fun. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter the tabletop RPG. It could be D&D. It could be Cyberpunk. Could be Call of Cthulhu, could be Lancer, it could be however many are out there. It is still a game. And when you're playing a game, you want to have fun and enjoy yourself. And you want the people you're playing with to have fun and enjoy themselves. You're there to have a good time together. And if you as a GM are not having fun, back out of there. You know, if you're not having fun because you're keeping this you versus me dynamic, it's not good. For running a game of D&D, it's not the GM trying to take out the players. It's not the player trying to, you know, finish off the GM's mischievous plans. Everyone is there to create a fun and memorable experience by fulfilling different roles. You as the DM obviously have to fill up more roles than one. You got to make sure you got to make sure the world's ready. You got to role play all the NPCs that the players might meet. You have to run the encounters because. If the players knew how every encounter would go, then there wouldn't be much fun. Let's be real. So you have to fulfill different roles, but still, you filling those roles, you create that story with the players. You running that combat lets the players feel heroic or lets a memorable moment happen or something harrowing happens or someone dies and it's something that everyone shares about and talks about later. Hell, at one point, my buddies captured a knoll and they were taking him into the village and on the way back to the village throughout the night, they were ambushed at night, and the knoll got killed. The knoll was the only one who died. But it's just suddenly, me and the fighter were, like, very upset because the fighter just randomly named him Kyle. And I'm like, yeah, Kyle died. He's like, what? I'm like, I know. I grieve for Kyle myself. All, like, I grieve, for, I grieve for Kyle also. And the other player's like, why the hell do you care? I'm like, he was Kyle, man. We can't have another Kyle die. It was, it was just really funny. Like, it, it didn't really matter to the players at the moment. Like, 
I have a story reason for it happening. There's a really important reason why the Null was the only one killed because the archer that ambushed them was a Null commander and didn't want the guy that got captured to squeal on them. So he took them, the, took the Null out. Specifically, he targeted the Null. So there's a story reason the players don't know yet. But the combat mattered. The combat propelled things forward, especially by taking the Null out specifically. And it was just funny. It was just kind of funny and memorable. Now we talk about Kyle. Like, next time we played, we're like, we're going to have another Kyle? Let's not have another Kyle, okay? <laughs> just we remember it and we laugh about it. There's, there's this thing that someone said online, and I'm really upset I can't remember who said it. But goddamn, was it really important? If you're not having fun as a DM, just take a step back for a moment and reflect on it. Maybe you cancel the next session and you take time to think about what went wrong last time or why weren't you enjoying it and take the time to address it. If you don't feel comfortable, you don't feel right, you're not enjoying it, it's okay to just halt a campaign and figure it out. It's okay to take that break or maybe start a new campaign. It might not be the best option. It might not be the most enjoyable for everybody, but if you're not having fun or your players aren't having fun with it, let something change. Heck, the one time I was playing a character, I talked to the GM after a session at one point. I'm like, you know, as much as I like the statistics behind the character, like what the character's abilities are, I'm not feeling the character for this campaign. He's like, oh, thank God. I'm so glad you said that because I'm not feeling it either. I'm like, so we're going to kill him and I'll make a new character? He's like, yeah, let's do that. And we agreed. We said, yeah, fuck it. This character, as much as a really cool character by the numbers, in terms of the story, we weren't having fun role-playing with one another. So... I told him, have fun, kill my character off however you see fit. All right, I'm giving you full permission. Do what you want with it, just give me a cool ending. And he took it, he ran with it, and it was a pretty cool... Actually, we almost prevented the character's death by complete act. Again, the players will always fuck up your plans. Me and my buddy pretty much killed the guy that was supposed to kill me. So then he's like, uh, okay. And he just like made something else happen. And it felt very natural in terms of the story. Like, the deuce X that ended up killing me felt very natural and i'm like oh i actually didn't expect myself to die that way that's actually really like i told him later i was like that was a really cool way to kill me i did not expect that at all so kudos for you for pulling that off i brought in my new character and the story continued in fact he's making my first character's death actually matter in the story which i think is really cool he's integrating that further it's not just a thing that happened and this actually makes me think of a, of a final tip, a ninth tip. I'm going to add one more in. This goes back to the whole fudging the die roll thing. Never admit things to your players. This might sound terrible, especially if they're good friends of yours. But never admit if you made something up on the fly or had to, you know, tweak something in the combat because that was supposed to happen. Don't ever admit that to the players. Maybe when the campaign is done, maybe. But keeping that secret from your players kind of keeps that fantasy fourth wall alive it keeps going like the players believe that happened naturally they believe that yes that's what that's what that character's power is that's what that villain is capable of it wasn't just oh the gm just made it happen magically because it needed to you know or it was it would have been cool if it happened so we made it happen like just let them believe what they want to believe as players keep the secrets to yourself and then in time Maybe you add in as a story element, or maybe it doesn't come up again. The, the character's like, okay, what did we do to stop it, or why, why is it no longer happening? And again, it keeps the story alive. It is a game. 
have fun with it, like I said before, but also make sure that fantasy stays and keep that fourth wall going. We're, we're playing in this world for a reason. Make it feel as alive as possible by not giving up too much information to the players, especially when it came down to game mechanics that you had to fudge. Don't ever admit that. That's just like a personal thing. Don't ever admit that kind of stuff. Let them believe what they want to believe. Run with it. So I apologize if you hear the fire truck outside. I live nearby a fire station and nearby the uh, the highway, so I'll hear it every now and then. Sorry if I picked up on the mic. But yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling back in action. I'm really glad that this actually changed. It was a list of seven tips. It turned into nine tips. I think that's pretty solid. Improv. I'm telling you, man. D&D, playing, running these games, there's a lot of improv involved in it. Get ready for it. So thank you all for listening. It is the end of October. We're moving into November, and well, it's getting a little chilly out. We're moving into winter. It's going to be uh, it's gonna be a good time. So I'm feeling better. I hope you're all feeling good. Hope you all have a good week. And I will see you all, what was that, November 3rd next week. Take care. <laughs>